Habakkuk. Let's turn to the book of Habakkuk this morning. And I'm trying to exercise your minds a little bit. Last week we were in Ezekiel. Now we're in Habakkuk. Say, where is that? That's in the back where all the pages are stuck together. All right, so let's look there at Habakkuk this morning. We're going to look at the whole book. And we're not going to read every verse, but we'll look at the theme of the book. And uh, we'll start in Habakkuk chapter 3. Habakkuk chapter 3. Let me remind you, if you would, continue to pray for both the Logan and Doughty families uh, as a result of the tragic accident that happened last Sunday night. Uh, Two went off to face eternity. And so let's pray for those families as they are dealing with the grief at this hour. There was a a celebration of life on Friday night and a funeral yesterday. And and, uh, we went to both of those and uh, tell you that the grief is very real. And uh, sorrow doesn't always pass as quickly as we would hope. And so let's remember uh, those families in prayer, if you would. And so some are wondering, the Dowdies at link back, this would have been uh, Ray and Evelyn Dowdy's great niece uh, that passed away in the accident. And so um, her um, brother Ray's sister-in-law has come to church a couple times, and she's 99 years old. And uh, she often sits back about where the pipes would sit. And uh, if I could let her preach this morning, she would tear a strip out of us about alcohol. She, she preached a message at the funeral yesterday to me, privately. I sat with her for a moment, and she said, that alcohol, it kills, it destroys. And she was quite upset about it. And so we need to think about that, you know. And I, I know that... Different people have different views on it. I I don't drink at all. I don't touch it. I believe uh, we are a kingdom of priests, and uh, we ought to be very careful. And uh, woe is the man that puts a bottle to another man's mouth. And so uh, I think the Bible, it's it's my view of the Bible that it it teaches abstinence, and we ought to be uh, staying away from that. And I know not everybody thinks that way, but I'm going to tell you, if you could hear old Mrs. Doughty preach this morning, she would tell you different. And uh, listen... It won't cost you anything to give it up. It'll cost you if you try to keep it. Just let that settle in for a minute. It won't cost you anything. Matter of fact, you'll have more in your pocket if you give it up, but it'll cost you if you try to keep it. And so be very careful as we dabble in the things of this world. And, and then, of course, uh, the young lady, uh, Summer, Summer Ann, that passed away, she came to our academy for a short time. I believe she probably went to school with about Justin Heath around his age, and, and so uh, some folks know him. And then her mother, Barb, has come uh, a few times in the last few weeks uh, to our services. And so remember that family in prayer. And, of course, the Logan family, you know, uh, Natasha and Ty and Drew and William. Let's remember them in prayer as well as they grieve uh, the loss of Tiger. Well, let's look at Habakkuk this morning. Habakkuk this morning. And if you look, we'll start at chapter 3. And then we will back up. I, I don't know if anybody can help me. Brother Judge, if you could signal somebody in the back, the heat is pouring out of those vents right now. And I don't know if you're trying to roast me out of here, or smoke me out, or what you're trying to do. But uh, sometimes they just come on at the wrong time, you know. Habakkuk chapter 3, look at verse 1 if you would. A prayer of Habakkuk, the prophet of Shigianoth. O Lord, I have heard thy speech and was afraid. O Lord, revive thy work in the midst of years. In the midst of the years, make known. In wrath, remember mercy. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for this day, and we thank you for your many blessings. Father, as we look at this scripture this morning, God, would you speak to our hearts? Would you move in our midst? Lord, so often we pray for revival. 
I've read this verse, I've heard this verse preached, I've seen it as themes on banners in the front of church buildings that God might revive his work in the midst of years. Lord, what does it mean for God to revive his work? And so, Lord, we notice that Habakkuk had heard the speech of the Lord and it provoked him to pray this prayer. As he prayed for revival for the nation of Israel, Lord, I pray that we too would be in prayer. But Lord, I, I, I don't know it, humanly speaking, I, I wonder if we will see revival without repentance. I, I know you can do whatever you want, whenever you want. But Lord, may we see repentance among our people, among our nation. Lord, may you bring about a, a revival in our place, in our nation. Speak to our hearts. And Lord, may it start with the house of God. Lord, I pray that you bless it. Now I, I need your help, and I pray that you might fill me with your Holy Spirit this morning. And speak to us, we pray. We'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. I'll just be up front with you this morning. I preached this passage of scripture during one of our lockouts. I preached it to an empty room. And uh, the funny thing is, when I preach to an empty room, I get just about as many amens as I do to a full room. Uh, that's just the truth. And uh, Brother Eric Hilton, a week ago Sunday, preached on revival, and it began to piqued my interest a little bit, and I began to study through it again, and, and, and I hope you understand that when you preach the same passage, you don't always get the same message. The Lord sometimes applies it differently, and I, I pray that's the case this morning, but how many of you have heard this verse, revive thy work in the midst of years, in thy wrath remember mercy? Many of us have heard that verse, haven't we? Revive thy work. We hear it uh, as themes in churches. Sometimes that's what the theme is for a, a calendar year, revive thy work, O Lord, but I want you to notice this morning that to God to revive his work in the midst of us is not always a great thing from our perspective. Now the result is always good, right? God is working all things together for good. And we understand that and we, we know that he has a long-term plan and goal, but sometimes the process of getting there is not always joyful. I want you to see what he means when he says, revive thy work. And as we pray for revival in our nation, we pray for revival in our church, I want you to understand that sometimes that's not always an easy road. Sometimes it comes with judgment. Sometimes it comes with conflict. Sometimes it comes with some rough edges. And I want you to notice this morning, if you'll turn back to Habakkuk chapter one, and as you're turning there, let me say some things about revival as you flip that one page, you get back to the beginning. Notice what David said in Psalm chapter 85 and verse six. I'll read it for you. Wilt thou not revive us again that thy, that thy people may rejoice in thee? Now, perhaps that's a more popular verse. Wilt thou not revive us again? And again, it's another verse I've seen on banners and verses that I've seen as themes and verses that we even sing about, don't we? Revive us again. We sing that exact phrase in our hymnology. Revive us again, O Lord, that my heart re might rejoice in thee. But I want you to notice something about the revival David is asking for. Notice it is a work of God. Wilt thou not revive us again. I want you to understand this morning that as a people, we can only be prepared for revival. We can only respond to the breath of God as it blows through. We can only act upon his hand and move at his behest, but God himself must send the revival. 
We cannot manufacture it. We cannot put together an order of service and say, this will certainly revive the church. Let's pick this song and the choir will sing then and then we'll have Brother Roberts do a, a, um, an exhortation and he'll pray and, and we put it all together. And, and, and be honest with you, I pray as I'm putting services together and I, I try to put things together in such a way that honor the Lord and that would stir our soul and prepare us for the preaching. But in no way do I ever think that I can put together a revival. We have meetings that we call revival meetings. We have evangelists come and on their business card it might say I'm available for missions conferences and special meetings and revivals. And we've come to know that as a term of a special time that we set aside to seek God and to ask him to speak to our hearts and move in our midst and stir our souls to do greater things for God. But if I'm being honest with you this morning, we have to remember revival is a work of God And how many of you know he works when he wants to? He will blow the wind. We can only set our sails to catch that wind. So David said, will thou not revive us again? The prophet Isaiah says this, for thus saith the high and lofty one that inhabiteth eternity, whose name is holy, I dwell in the high and holy place with him also that is of a contrite and humble spirit, to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. God says there's two classes of people that he might revive, the humble and the contrite. The contrite or contrition is something that says I'm, I'm deeply aware of my own sinful condition. That is what contrition is. It leads us to repentance. It leads us to falling upon the grace of God. He says, so I will revive the humble And I will revive the contrite ones, but notice again, it is the work of a holy God. It's when God chooses to stir us, and God chooses to work in our midst, and friends, we must respond when those instances happen. I would like to think that every time we gather, God can work. There might be a small revival going on in your heart right now. Revival is not necessarily a nationwide event or a a church-wide event, but it might be an individual event. God may choose to swoop into this service now and break your heart and, and, and stir your soul in a special way. I was watching the kids down here in the front as the ensemble was singing, My King is Known by Love. And the little girl sits right, right there in front of you, hon. What was her name? Shanira, man, she got excited. When they started singing, my king is known by love. My king is known by mercy. My king is known by a cross. Something stirred in her soul. These old kids don't understand. She understood something. She's the one that when I get up and say, hey, let's sing, he will hold me fast. She, she shouted right out loud once, Yes! There's something in her heart that says, I need to be reminded that God loves me, that God cares for me. And I saw sitting right here just a little revival going on in a 10 or 11-year-old girl's heart this morning. And so sometimes revival is very personal. David was praying in a nation revival, wasn't he? Wilt thou not revive us? Revive us. Isaiah was 
preaching to the nation of Israel. He was a prophet of God that, and he was praying for a national reviver and God responded, I will revive he of a humble heart and he that has uh, the contrary ones, those are who I will revive and gives the promise to the people that if you'll just humble yourselves, I'll revive you. But in both cases, revival is the work of God. Now notice what it says in Habakkuk chapter one. Habakkuk was known as a minor prophet and I'm gonna be honest with you, in reading the prophets, I sometimes enjoy the minor prophets more than the, I don't know if you call them major prophets even, the, the larger books of prophecy. I find sometimes the larger books of prophecy are very difficult to follow and understand, aren't they? They'll go from one thing to another. If we read Daniel, we read some great stories of Daniel and the lions and Shirach, Meshach, and Abednego, but then we get into the writing on the wall and we get into other prophecies about the resurrection and we get into Ezekiel. My wife and I are reading through Ezekiel right now and studying that a little bit and I'm, I'm telling you, one chapter to the next is very, very different. But often with the minor prophets, we get one thought. One thing that carries the theme throughout the entire book and Habakkuk is like that. It's three chapters and the heart of Habakkuk the prophet is to see God work. God, I want you to work. But what he asked God to do is not what we would normally ask God to do. He's asking God to judge Israel. Notice what it says in verse one. We see notice, first of all, Habakkuk's complaint. The burden which Habakkuk the prophet did see, by the way, he had a burden for his people. The Bible says so. The burden, the, the, the sin that was scattered among his people, he had, a, he had a burden for them. And he says, oh Lord, how long shall I cry and thou wilt not hear? Even cry out unto thee of violence and thou wilt not save? Why dost thou show me iniquity and cause me to behold grievance? For spilling and violence are before me and there are that raise up strife and contention. Therefore the law is slacked. And judgment doth never go forth. For the wicked doth compass about the righteous. Therefore wrong judgment proceedeth. Notice what Habakkuk is saying. He's, he's painting a bleak picture, isn't he? I think if we were to honestly slow down and read those four verses, they might be words that come out of our lips sometimes. God, how long will you allow this wickedness to go on in our world? How come you're allowing me to see so much filth and so much garbage out there? And why aren't you judging? As a matter of fact, we feel outnumbered. You ever feel like that? That's what he said, isn't it? The wicked encompass the righteous. We're surrounded. He says they, everything they do, and because of it, the law is slacked. How many of you feel like that? What was against the law 50 years ago because the wicked have raised their voices so much it's not even against the law anymore. Abortion is legal. Homosexual unions are legal. And the morality of our country is sliding at a rapid pace and the things that even unsaved moral people believed were wrong are now just out in the open. And so like Habakkuk, we might pray the same thing, saying, Lord, how long? How long before you judge the land? How long will I cry out to thee? How long will I pray for revival? How long, God, before you come and set things straight? But then in verse five, we see the Lord's answer. Behold, ye among the heathen. Well, that's not God, is it? He's speaking to Habakkuk. And he responds, behold, ye among the heathen and 
regard and wonder marvelously, for I will work a work in your days. Look what he says next. Which ye will not believe, though it be told you. As God is replying to Habakkuk, we we see it begins out pretty good. And we could take this in one of two ways, really, couldn't we? Habakkuk, I'm going to come and I'm going to work a work in your midst. And I mean, it's going to be so good. Even if I told you right now, you wouldn't believe what was going to happen. But that is not the tense of what God is saying. What he means by that is, even when it happens, you would never have believed it for a minute because this is not what you're asking for. You understand what I'm saying this morning? There are two types of unbelief, aren't there? There's, there's, I cannot believe it even though I've seen it with my own eyes and it's something that surpasses our expectation and something that gets us excited. But that's not what God is saying to Habakkuk here. He's saying you would never believe this, you would never believe for a moment this is how I would choose to work. And you might not like it. So he starts out in verse five, warning Habakkuk, yes, I will work. In your day, which you will not believe, though it be told you, verse six, for lo, I raise up the Chaldeans, that bitter and hasty nation, which shall march through the breadth of the land to possess the dwelling places that are not theirs. They are terrible and dreadful. Their judgment and their dignity shall proceed of themselves. Their horses also are swifter than the leopards and are more fierce than the evening wolves and their horsemen shall spread themselves and their horsemen shall come from far. They shall fly as the eagle that hasteth to eat. They shall come for all for violence. Their faces shall sup as the east wind and they shall gather the captivity as the sand. And they shall scoff at the kings, and the princes shall be a scorn unto them. They shall deride every stronghold, for they shall heap dust and take it. Then shall his mind change, and he shall pass over and offend, imputing this his power unto his God. God begins to speak, and at verse 5, it sounds promising. Yes, God, he will work, but now as he begins to work, he comes in an expected way. I was thinking that as Habakkuk was praying and hoping for revival in his midst that perhaps God would come and just judge the wicked. But as the Chaldeans sweep through the land and the Bible says they will take homes that are not theirs and they will devastate the people, how many of you think they're gonna stop and say, now are you righteous or are you wicked? We're only here to take care of the wicked ones. Oh, you're good people, you follow the law, you sacrifice, you go to worship every Saturday, you observe the Sabbath day, you do all, uh, we will leave you alone and we'll move on to some of these wicked people over here. Maybe point us in the right direction. Which ones are wicked, Habakkuk, that we might judge accordingly as God has sent us to do? That's not how the Chaldeans would work. The Bible says their horses are swifter than the leopards and they would sweep through the land and so the wicked and the righteous would be judged together. The innocents, the people that were praying for revival and asking God to work, and Habakkuk the prophet would suffer as well as God would send this group of people, these Chaldeans, to judge the land. Now Habakkuk's a bit confused. And we see in verse 12, he says, Art thou from everlasting, O Lord, my God, my Holy One? We shall not die. O Lord, thou hast ordained them for judgment. 
And almighty God, thou hast established them for correction. God, we, we shouldn't have to die for the sins of the people. God, it sounds like when this army comes, they're gonna wipe out everything. But God, aren't you holy? Aren't you righteous? Aren't you from everlasting to everlasting? Don't you have the ability to judge them and preserve us? God, we shall not die. God, we should not be judged. And he's confused. Verse 13, thou art of pure eyes than to behold evil and canst not look on iniquity. Wherefore, lookest thou upon them that deal treacherously and holdest thy tongue when the wicked devoureth the man that is more righteous than he and makest men as the fishes of the sea, as the creeping things that have no ruler over them. He says, they're gonna wipe us out just like we were the fish of the sea or a beast of the field. They will show no mercy. They take up all of them with the angle. They catch them in their net and gather them in their drag. Therefore, they rejoice and are glad. Therefore, they sacrifice under their net and they burn incense under their drag because by them their portion is fat and they, their meat plenteous. Shall they therefore empty their nets and not spare continually to slay the nations? He's confused and Habakkuk says, will they stop there? Once they have scooped us all up in their net, once they have destroyed us all, will they not just simply empty their nets and go and trouble the nations? Won't they be empowered by this? And he tries to reason with God, and so he's confused about the judgment that God is sending. And so in chapter two, God begins to explain to Habakkuk, I will stand upon my watch and set me upon the tower and will watch to see what he will say unto me and what I shall answer when I am reproved. So verse one, Habakkuk is, is reflecting on making this statement to God. God, why are you doing this to me? God, why are you doing it to the righteous? Why are you judging us? And isn't it the wicked that should be judged? And, and now Habakkuk resigns himself and says, I'll just sit back, I'll watch and I'll wait. And he says, to see how the Lord will reprove me. He was begging God on behalf of the righteous and yet he knew that because he talked back to God, he'd be reproved. In verse two, it says the Lord's answer. The Lord answered me and said, write the vision and make it plain upon tables that he may run that readeth it. For the vision is yet for an appointed time, but at the end it shall speak and not lie. Though it tarry, wait for it because it will surely come. It will not tarry. Behold, his soul, which is lifted up, is not upright in him, but the just shall live by his faith. Yea, also, because he transgresseth by wine, he is a proud man. Neither keepeth at home, who enlargeth his desire as hell, and is a, as death, and cannot be satisfied, but garnereth unto him all nations, and heapeth unto him all people. Shall not all these take up a parable against him, and a taunting proverb against him, and say, Woe to him that increaseth that which is not... His, how long, and to him that leadeth himself with thick clay, shall they not rise up? Shall they not rise up suddenly that uh, shall bite thee and awake, shall vex thee, and thou shalt be for uh, uh, booties unto them? Because thou hast spoiled many nations, all the remnant of the people shall spoil thee because of men's blood, for the violence of the land, of the city, and of all that dwell therein. I'm not going to read the rest of the chapter, but suffice to say, the rest of the chapter, God has explained to Habakkuk why judgment must be this way. And in verse 9, he gives us a hint because you have spoiled all the other nations. Now my judgment is that you would be spoiled. In other words, God in 
various times throughout the history of Israel had told them to go in and to battle nations and to fight them. But there was times where they took up arms of their own. There was times where they numbered the people when they weren't supposed to. There was times where they prepared for battle in ways that they were not supposed to. There was times where they, they took up the spoils of war when God told them not to. There was times where God like he told Saul to utter destroy the Amalekites, and yet he did not. And over and over again, because of their disobedience in battle, God says, now I'm visiting that upon you. And because of your sin, because you spoiled the nations, I will now have the Chaldeans spoil you. Now look at Habakkuk chapter three. We'll come to our text. Woe to the bloody city, Sorry, I need to turn my page. A prayer of Habakkuk the prophet upon Shigeonoth. Now listen. It starts with Habakkuk praying, God, would you come and judge these people? God, would you judge the wicked? And God says, sure, I'll do that. But I'm gonna send the Chaldeans and they're gonna utterly destroy the land. It'll just be remnants left. He'll wipe you out. And some of the righteous will also die with the wicked. And Habakkuk begins to complain and say, God, I don't understand why, if you're from everlasting to everlasting, if you're not almighty God, if you're not all powerful, why could you not just judge the wicked? And God said the people of Israel must pay for their sin because in the past they have spoiled others. Now the Chaldeans will spoil you. And here's where we come to Habakkuk. And notice what he says. As he prays in verse two, O Lord, I have heard thee, thy speech, or I have heard thee. And I was afraid, O Lord. Wouldn't you be afraid if you heard God speak like that to you? If the heavens were to open above this building today and God were to say, I'm about to judge Simcoe. I'm about to judge Norfolk County. I'm gonna send another nation to come and they're gonna utterly devastate There'll be nothing left. I'm going to march through. They'll take your homes. They'll take your children. They'll destroy your families. It's no wonder Habakkuk was afraid. He said, I was afraid to hear thy voice. But then he says this, O Lord, revive thy work. What's he saying? We, we, we often say that, don't we? God, revive your work. You know what Habakkuk is praying? God, go ahead and do it. Bring judgment. If that's how you will change your people into living holy lives, if that's what it takes to get Israel back on the right course, God, allow it to happen. Would you now come and, and judge us and help us and, and, and somehow bring us to the point where we can be worshiping you properly again, that, that the righteous would once again outnumber the wicked? Oh God, turn our hearts to thee. And if it means judgment, I surrender to you. And so let me ask you this morning, as we look at Habakkuk's prayer, do you notice that it's a moment of full and complete surrender. Remember what I said at the beginning, revival is the work of God. I'm reminded of the Lord Jesus Christ coming into different places and he said he did not many works there because of what? Their unbelief. 
They didn't believe he could do it. There was times when the Lord Jesus Christ said, I would gather Israel together like a chicken gathers her chicks, a hen gathers her chicks. But he says, but ye would not. Stephen preached to the people of Israel moments before he was stoned. And he says, ye stiff-necked and uncircumcised and hardened ears, how long will ye resist the Holy One of Israel? How many times do we miss out on God reviving just our own hearts, a revival in our midst, because we simply refuse? Maybe we're more like Habakkuk of chapter one and two and say, God, send revival, and God says, okay, but here's how I'm gonna do it, and say, no, God, don't do that. I mean, if you could just take a few of these people out over here, that, that would suffice. And there's a couple of wicked folks in the center section. There's a couple more over here. And, and Lord, if you would just take care of them. Truth is, if we look in our own heart, we might find we are standing in the need of judgment as well. Aren't you glad his mercies are new every morning? Aren't you glad of grace? He is faithful. But Habakkuk come to a point after hearing all that God had to say and how terrible it was going to be. I mean, I don't, I don't know if you could watch a war movie that would describe what's about to go on. Some, sometimes we hear of war, we hear the atrocities of war. This was almost a genocide, what was about to take place. There would only be a remnant left. And Habakkuk finally said, okay, God, revive thy work. Are you willing to surrender to that today? God, whatever it takes to get me where you want me to be, to get our church to where we ought to be, to get, bring our nation back again, God, whatever it takes, I surrender. Now, you may not be able to, big enough to surrender for the whole nation. I understand that. What if we all did? What if every Bible believer in our nation says, God, do whatever it takes? If that means wiping out our economy, if that means another Great Depression, if that means I might miss a few meals, if that means we are devastated by famine and disease and plague, whatever it takes, God. But if our people would turn their eyes back to thee, revive thy work in the midst of years. Revival is the work of God. It's not always what we want, but let me say it is always what we need. It is always what we need. It was a unique time in history when Habakkuk was given a glimpse of God's plan. Here's the thing. As dire as it was, he was willing to surrender. Today, we have to surrender by faith. God has not painted a picture of what tomorrow looks like of what his judgment might be. But are we just willing to put our hand, lives in the hands of God and saying, God, whatever you want to do, please revive thy work. Let's pray. Father, sometimes the hardest thing to do is just to surrender to the hand of God. It's easy to surrender when we're walking with the Lord and we think that our lives are doing well and 
But Lord, if we're struggling, if we're regarding iniquity in our hearts, it becomes hard to surrender knowing that God might judge us. But Lord, it's what we need. If we're going to see this type of revival that Habakkuk describes, if God is to revive his work, we need to let it be his work. We cannot resist God. So Lord, help us just to learn to surrender to whatever that might mean. And I don't know if this word revive that we see in Habakkuk 3 is necessarily speaking of a revival in the sense, but it is reviving the work of God. And so Lord, I pray that you would help us understand that that's what true revival is, is when God is able to sweep through and do whatever he pleases. And Lord, we know that you work all things together for good. Sometimes pruning hurts. Sometimes purging is difficult. But Lord, may we surrender completely to your will today. Speak to our hearts, we pray, and we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand to our feet with our heads bowed. Could I challenge you? Would you pray for our nation? Would you pray for Bethel Baptist Church? And would you just simply ask God to do whatever he sees fit, to do his work in our lives, in our church, and in our nation? but we have to fully surrender to it to allow him to work. You may use this altar if you like or pray where you are. Maybe there's one here today, say, Pastor, I'm not sure I'm a child of God. I don't know that I'm saved. We'd like to help you today. I just keep thinking of that song, my king is known by mercy. My king is known by the cross. Your king came and died to save you. You just need to come and put your faith and trust in him. We can help you. We can show you what a Bible says about having eternal life through Jesus Christ. As the piano plays, if God has spoke to your heart, you step out and come.